Father God, as we come into your word now, we pray that you would soften our hearts uh, to hear it, not just with our heads, but with our hearts. Please transform us by the wonderful news we're going to hear about today through your word. And we pray that you would do that for your glory. Amen. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and for what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers, it is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured, out on, he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made the intercession for the transgressors. Uh, let me pray for us again before we start. Uh, God and Father, this uh, passage is, it feels like we're treading on holy ground, uh, right, peering right into the heart of things, of your great and wonderful plan, of your purposes for this world, and for your people of your incredible grace and all that you have done for us in the gospel. Oh Lord, please um, give us humble and soft hearts now and encourage and lift us up in the wonder of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well I want to start uh, this morning with a story. It's another, a story from another part of the Bible. It's from Acts chapter 8. You can read about it. It's a, a story that's set about a year after Jesus died and rose again. Um, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, is walking along the road, like down a country road, 
uh, and this chariot comes up beside him, sort of starts to overtake him. Uh, obviously, the chariot, Philip can see this chariot belongs to someone who's really wealthy and important. Uh, and, and God has planned something amazing here. God sort of sent Philip out on this road, and the Spirit tells Philip, as this chariot sort of going past him, it tells Philip to, uh, he tells Philip to go and sort of chase after this chariot and stay near it. So he runs up to the chariot, and as he gets nearer, he sees an Ethiopian man sitting there in the chariot and reading aloud from a scroll uh, that, while he's been driven along. Uh, in those days, you didn't read in your head uh, like we tend to do. When you read, you read aloud. Um, and uh, so uh, Philip, he, uh, he's going along and he hears what this guy is reading and Philip thinks, hang on a second, I know those words, <laughs> this is very familiar. Uh, he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So Philip asks this man if he understands what it is that he's reading uh, and the man replies, look, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? So he, he says, come up into my chariot, Philip jumps up with him uh, and it turns out that this guy is a really important guy, he's the treasurer of the Ethiopian government, like he's a really high official in Ethiopia, a really important man. He's a eunuch, so he was probably castrated at a young age and taken into service of the queen. Uh, and, and he's come on this long journey to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So you get this picture of this guy. He's a God-fearing Gentile, uh, someone who recognises Israel's God as the one true God. Anyway, so it just so happens as Philip gets near, this Ethiopian man is reading out exactly the part of Isaiah that we're looking at today, the same part of Isaiah's scroll. Uh, so he asks Philip, this will be on the screen hopefully from um, 8 verse 34, uh, the eunuch asks Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip goes from this passage in Isaiah that we're looking at today, and he says, look, haven't you heard about what happened just last year? It, it, Philip to this eunuch. Uh, Let me tell you. And it's like, as Philip's explaining this to this guy he's going along in the chariot with, it's like suddenly everything falls into place. The scales fall from his eyes. This suffering servant in Isaiah 53 that's got him really puzzled it's no longer a mystery, but a flesh and blood person who Philip knew. Uh, and, and this man asks Philip to baptize him straight away. If you know the story, uh, he, he goes down as a visible sign that he is now part of Jesus' people, uh, that he has put his faith in him, that he sees in Jesus the fulfillment of everything he's been looking for, everything he's been hoping for and striving for, he finds it fulfilled in Jesus. And, and so after he's baptised, this is what we read in verse 39. They come up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Went on his way rejoicing. As this little scene in, in Acts chapter 8 is a fascinating um, snapshot of the power of this passage in Isaiah that we're looking at today. And it shows us what we should expect to happen when people, when we, when you, see and accept the good news of this passage, the good news of Isaiah, the good news of Jesus. It should send us on our way rejoicing. That's what it should do. 
If you'll receive it, the message of this passage has the power to do that for you today, no matter what else is going on in your life. It is a stunning message that we see here. It's a message all about this shadowy figure called the servant, who we've met a number of times already. He's a really key figure in these chapters in Isaiah. But as you read it, and maybe you pick this up, it sort of comes across as an unbelievable message. You get that in 53 verse 1. There's there's something totally unexpected and unthinkable about this message. Um, Verse 1, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The message of this servant is all about the arm of the Lord being revealed. Now, um, when I think of the arm of the Lord being revealed, this is what I think of. Uh, as a kid, I was fascinated by Popeye. Anyone else uh, a, a Popeye fan? I, I, um, I, I remember watching it, and I just kind of glued to the screen, right? This rough and ready sailor powered by spinach. I'm not sure that it actually worked in getting me to eat lots of spinach, but anyway. Uh, but with ridiculously sized arms, right? Um, and what, when Popeye bared his arms, he was all about strength, all about his power, Right? Well, this servant, we're told here, this servant that we're looking at is God with his sleeves rolled up. The power of God to win his victory. Uh, That's what you get right at the start of the song we looked at in verse 13 of chapter 52, right at the start there. It says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And you read on, this servant's going to have a global significance. Verse 15 says he's going to sprinkle many nations. Uh, We've been building a picture of this servant all the way along. Uh, A few weeks ago, we saw in chapter 42, he would be a kingly figure who would bring God's justice to the nations. Uh, Last week, uh, we saw he he was going to be a prophet-like figure who would proclaim God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, There's a new image that comes up in this song, though. He's a king, he's a prophet, but this servant's also going to be a priest. Uh, that's, that's what the sprinkling idea is all about. The priests of the Old Testament uh, would perform animal sacrifices to pay for the sin of God's people, and they'd sprinkle blood to symbolise God's cleansing. Uh, except here, the, the, the priest is not going to just sprinkle Israel, he's going to sprinkle the whole world, the whole world, many nations. And it's so significant, as you read there, that kings are going to shut their mouths in front of this one, this great arm of the Lord, his, the God with his sleeves rolled up. His, uh, his kings will shut their mouths because of the, they'll see something totally new, something they could never think up themselves, something that they were not told, something that they had not heard before. But here's the catch, friends. Here's where, here's where this message seems unbelievable. This, this one, God with his sleeves rolled up, the mighty arm of the Lord revealed the awesome power of the creator of the universe, what does he look like? Well, he looks like this, 52 verse 14. Many are appalled at him. His appearance, you see, his his appearance is so disfigured, it's beyond that of any human being. His form is marred beyond human likeness. Like, he's so disfigured, you can't even recognise that he's human. Uh, Down in 53 verse 2, There's this image of a weak and fragile, uh, like a tender shoot, this this root out of dry ground. He's unimpressive, someone you just walk right past. No beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
Uh, in fact, the next verse, in verse 3, he'd be someone you'd cross the street to avoid. That's, the, that's what we're told there. Someone you hide your face from so you don't have to have the kind of discomfort of being confronted by him and his disfigurements, despised and rejected by everyone, a man of suffering, a man of sorrows, familiar with pain. That's not like a, a personality trait. In um, a church I used to work at, um, in the office, we had all these mugs of all the um, Winnie the Pooh characters. And every day we'd go in and choose which character we were. If we were feeling bouncy, we'd choose Tigger. Uh, 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 often we would fight over Eeyore. You know, if you know, you know Eeyore, just, he was, he's kind of a, a donkey of sorrows. Just everything's, uh, like that's his personality, right? This isn't talking about just a personality trait for this servant. He's not the man of sorrows in that sense. It's simply a description of reality, of the, the suffering and sorrows that he went through. He's familiar with pain. So here's the shock of this passage, the unbelievable message. This mighty arm of the Lord, the one who's going to be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted, who kings will shut their mouths because of, is going to be this at this, also this outcast, so disfigured you can't even tell he's human, nothing attractive about him. So far, friends, the stuff we've looked at, we've actually seen glimpses of along the way in Isaiah and in the other servant songs. We, can't, we, we know the picture we're building up of this servant. We know he's going to go through some suffering already and rejection. But it's what comes next that is just the stunning, beautiful new thing that we hear and we receive in this song. It makes this so precious. The unbelievable message has an incredible reason. Why did the servant have to suffer like this? Why did he have to suffer like this? Well, we've already seen that this servant is going to be God's king who will bring his justice to the nations, right? A few weeks ago, hopefully that's familiar. Um, he's, he's going to set things right on the earth. And last week, though, we also see, saw that he's going to bring God's salvation, his mercy to the ends of the earth. The great problem in Isaiah is this. How can God's justice and his salvation, his mercy, how can they possibly happen at the same, together? How can they possibly come together? How can this world be fixed up of all its trouble and wickedness without wiping out the people who bring about that trouble and wickedness? How can an unholy people have a relationship with the holy God? That is the kind of big problem driving Isaiah, the big problem for Israel. It's also the big problem for us, for you, for every person. Uh, we're all in a kind of border dispute with God. Um, have you ever had a border dispute? I, I, um, I have a strong memory of one as a kid. I remember sitting at a school desk next to one kid who insisted on a straight line down the middle between us. And if I put my finger, you know, just a fraction of my finger over the side, uh, he felt free to whack it with a ruler. If my pencil rolled over onto his side, it belonged to him from then on. Right? <laughs> uh, the Bible speaks of another kind of border dispute, uh, a spiritual one between us and God. It's not the same, as though, as between two kids, right? God is the loving ruler of the universe, the one who made and cares for each person in it. 
But we put up a border around our heart against his rule. We say to God, this is my life, I want to live it my way, stay out of it, and don't tell me what to do. <laughs> that attitude is what the Bible calls sin. It's what Isaiah pictures down in verse 6. You need to pick that up as we read through. Verse 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's kind of the heart of the problem of the human condition. Such a tragedy, this turning to our own way, this shutting ourselves off from God's loving rule is, the, is actually the ultimate cause of all that, that's wrong in this world, all that's wrong in us. But friends, here is God's amazing response. Here is this majestic arm of the Lord, God's matchless power to save his people. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So remember the, the, the picture that this song is helping us to build of this servant? Uh, he's, the, he's the king, he's the prophet, but here he's also the priest, uh, the one who's going to sprinkle many nations. So this sacrifice in the Old Testament was a powerful symbol of this tension that we're looking at, this, this, this question of how God can be both just and merciful at the same time. Uh, in the Old Testament, these, these sacrifices were a powerful symbol of that. Uh, this innocent animal was a substitute symbolically dying in my place. The sin of God's people was so serious that it meant death, and the sacrifices were a continual reminder of that. Uh, the, the priest would wash away the uncleanness of sin by sprinkling its blood. But friends, here is another incredible new thing about this servant. He's not only the priest who stands between God and the people and performs the sacrifice, he himself is the sacrifice. He himself is the sacrifice. The blood he would sprinkle to bring God's forgiveness and cleansing was his own. He subs in for his people. He stands in their place. This is all captured, I think, just so beautifully by an author called John Stott uh, in a wonderful book called The Cross of Christ. Um, if you're looking for one to read and you haven't read that, 
highly recommend it. But John Stott writes this. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be, mine. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be, pierced for our transgressions. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. So this substitution on both ways is at the heart of this, what's going on with this servant. So friends, this unbelievable message had an incredible reason. The servant would suffer and give his life in the place of his people so that the death and judgment they deserved would fall on him instead. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a saviour. Uh, but that's not the end. There's more in this passage, right? Let's keep reading. In some wonderful way, this horrific story, I mean, it's a, it's a horrific story, right? In some wonderful way, it would all end well. Verse 10 Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. There's something so wonderful going on here with this servant that even death is not the end of him. He would enter into death... He would take the full force of death on himself and he would shatter it. Death wouldn't extinguish him. He would extinguish death. It's this incredible bright outcome after all this suffering for this servant. But it's not just for him. Did you read that? Uh, keep reading in verse 11. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. See that in verse 11. By his knowledge, he will justify many. It's not just some kind of academic knowledge it's talking about there. I think it's talking about the servant's personal, intimate knowledge of God his Father, a knowledge that he now shares with many others. And through receiving his sacrifice in their place, many people will be justified, will be made righteous, will be made right in the fullest sense, given forgiveness for their sins and a whole new life based on a new relationship with God. It's so incredible, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this, this passage written 700 years uh, before Jesus, but so completely fulfilled in him. Every verse of this chapter is either quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. It's such a critical one for us to understand Jesus. Well, I just want to finish by, by pointing out one sort of thing that flows through this whole passage. Uh, maybe you noticed it. It's, it's this language that you get of carrying, him carrying these things for us, our iniquities. Uh, this, this image of a burden. It's a good image, isn't it? And we've seen it before already. 
If you remember, a, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at um, the whole issue of our, our idolatry, our idols being this heavy burden for the weary. Well, just like that, sin is a heavy burden, isn't it? It really is. We carry around our guilt and our regrets and our shame. This is why it's so important, actually, to confess your sins, to be open about them, not to hide them away. As long as you're in denial about them, you will carry them and they will weigh you down. It will weigh you down here and now. And if you haven't had your sins taken by Jesus, they will weigh you down ultimately when you stand before the holy judge of the universe. Friends, whatever you're carrying, God knows it. God sees it. He sees both the hurt and pain you've caused to others and the hurt and pain you've caused to yourself and the hurt and pain others have caused to you. He knows it all. And at the cross, he has taken that burden, that burden that weighs you down, and he has placed it on his son. Jesus willingly took it. This was the Lord's will for his son, but Jesus willingly took it himself. It wasn't as if he went unwillingly. The one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all acting out of their free grace to give you, to free you from that burden. So friends, if you haven't had that burden lifted from your shoulders, come to him. Come to him today. Come to him now. What does it say about the servant? The punishment he took is the punishment that gives us peace. Peace. So friends, receive that peace. Receive it today. Be swept up into something actually much bigger. This incredible promise that we're going to be seeing sort of exploding out from this moment for the rest of Isaiah. This incredible promise that in Jesus, by his spirit, God is taking the burden not just from his people but from the whole creation, making everything new. So stick around for the rest of the term and we'll hear more of that. But come to Jesus. And if you've already come to him, do you realise, friends, just how completely loved and forgiven you are? Do you know that God's grace really is wider and deeper and more powerful than your sin? The cross shows it. Believe it. Entrust your burden, your guilt to him. And now live in thankful response to that. That's why the Ethiopian could go away rejoicing. That's why you can go away rejoicing as well. Let's pray. Our Father, all of this was your will, your gracious saving will to send your Son, our Lord Jesus. Thank you that you did that, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, peace, wonderful, eternal, full, transforming peace was laid on him.
Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you took that burden willingly. And we pray, our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that this day each of us might be able to leave this place rejoicing, rejoicing in this wonderful news and more committed to living a life of thankful response to you, the one who has given up everything for us. And we pray that in his name. Amen.